last week, FUD set a precedent that it's okay to eat while you preach, so this won't really affect you, but in second service, I have a Papa John's pizza that's going to be delivered right about the time the sermon starts so that uh, I can have lunch and not be hungry. So thanks for doing that, FUD. I appreciate it. So, and he didn't even leave any Krispy Kremes for me this morning. Um, we're going to continue on in our sermon series on the book of Philippians. We are in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, FUD uh, was on it in verses 10 and 11 last week. And um, just as a reminder of where we were last week, FUD, as we were talking about our salvation, we, he pointed out four things uh, about our salvation that are, that are good and that are solid. Um, Paul writes that we can know Christ, which in and of itself should just cause us to stop. That we can know Christ, not know things about him merely, but know him. Know him deeply and intimately. That is a, that is a powerful thing, but we can, we can know Christ, we can know the power of his resurrection, his defeat of sin and death. We can know that not only in the sense that we can be with him, but we can experience the defeat of sin in our own lives. Um, we can share in his sufferings. As he pointed out in the beginning of the book of Philippians, Paul says that it was granted to you to suffer on his behalf. It was given to you. So we can know that. We can share in that. And then we can attain the resurrection of the dead, the the fact that we can be with him forever. As as we get into this next section here, uh, before I read our verses this morning, I'd like to do two things. First, I'd like to pray. But then secondly, I'd like to take us to another passage to kind of get us ready for what we're going to be talking about. So um, let me pray, and then we'll go to the other passage. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your sovereign working in our lives. Thank you that we can do nothing apart from you, but that in you we can do all things. And Father, we rest in you, and Lord, I pray even now that you would grant me grace to speak in a way that exalts Jesus, that brings us clear. And Father, I pray this morning as we um, read in your word that we would not simply stand on the outside and look in, but that it would pierce us and that we would examine ourselves And we would strive for those things which most honor and most glorify Christ. So, Lord, uh, would you be with us now and guide us in our time. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Um, I'd like to point us, uh, beginning this morning, to a a passage. And you you don't have to turn there. You can, if you'd like. uh, Romans chapter 8. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, under the seats in front of you is a Bible. If you don't have one at all, please keep that. That is our gift to you. Uh, if you just leave yours in the car, um, then borrow it and put it back. Um, uh, but we're going to be in Romans this morning, just for a second, Romans 8, uh, verses 29 and 30. And uh, what I want to do is I want to go through here, I want to talk about a couple of things, and then I want to show you how it, why we start here and how it's kind of connected to this Philippians 3 passage that we're going on this morning. Romans eight twenty nine and 30 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
as, as we've been talking about the gospel in the book of Philippians, we've been talking about this movement of God for our salvation. And we, we've said from the beginning, and we continue to say, and we'll continue to say, that our salvation is all of God. It is, it is God's working in and through us. And that is both the point of coming to Him um, initially, the point of being saved, being made like Him, and being um, ultimately brought with Him. But the thing that I want us to know and the thing that I want us to see here this morning first is the point of our salvation. Look at verse 29. It says that those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. When God saves us, he does not intend to put us on a shelf. He does not intend to make better versions of ourselves. Uh, He does not intend just to make us nice people. The point of our salvation here on this earth, we are saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. There's intentionality in God's saving. Uh, We have all three aspects, and we've we've talked about this multiple times, but our salvation consists of this, this justification, this being made right with God, this being brought near to Him, cleansed and brought into His presence. Our sins being placed on Christ, His righteousness being placed on us. And Paul talks about that in verse 30 when he talks about that He's justified us. But Paul also says that as part of God's eternal purposes is that we would be made like Christ. That we would be conformed to His image. Now sometimes as as believers, we, we don't think about that. As much We think about the fact that we've been made right with God, that we've been brought near to God, and that one day we'll be in heaven with Him, but we forget that as we are walking along in the faith, the will of God, the desire of God, is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now the fancy $3 word we use for that is sanctification. It comes from the Latin word sanctus, holy. It means to be made holy. We are being made like Jesus. And so what we can't forget as believers as we move forward is that sanctification is not an option. Sanctification is not something for elite Christians. Sanctification is not something that one day you might arrive at. If you have placed your faith in Christ... God's plan from all of eternity is that you would be conformed into His image. Now that's a, that's a sobering fact when we start examining our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I can look at my life and say, there are things in my life that are not conformed to the image of Jesus. And so this morning, as we get into Philippians chapter 3... The reason why I point us to this passage is that we understand the reality of sanctification must be taking place in our lives. Now, it is true that there are times in our lives where it will be more intense and we will see more effort. And there are times when it feels like it's just dry and nothing's happening. But all in all, there should be a progress in sanctification. And I think that Philippians 3, 12 through 21, which is where we're at this morning, I think this passage gives us some good idea and understanding of what it means to know if we're being sanctified or if we're not being sanctified. Paul gives us two examples. So let's read the passage. And if you would, Philippians chapter 3. Let me give you a second to turn there because that's where we're going to be spending our time. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And I'm going to read it, so would you, if you wouldn't mind, if you would stand with me. Um, 
We're going to read these verses, Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Paul writes this. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You may be seated. I I think that it's important for us to see what Paul writes in verses 17 and 18 because he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It says, for... He, Paul says, join in imitating me. There's those of us who have an example of what Christ-likeness looks like. And you need to follow us because for many of whom I have often told you, now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. And so Paul really here in this passage is kind of in the middle pointing to two examples. Those who are following Christ, those who are walking in a way according to what's been taught and what's been told, and who are, I would argue, being sanctified and examples of Christ's work in life. And then there are those who walk as enemies of the cross. And what Paul holds out to us here is that there are two examples, and we have to determine which one is it that we're going to follow. Because we can follow the right one or we can follow the wrong one. And as we do this, what we will do is we will begin to examine ourselves because if I'm following those those who've set the example for us, who are pointing me towards Jesus, then what I'm going to do is the things in their lives, as God is sanctifying them, those things will be true in my life. But the other is also true. If I'm not being sanctified, if I'm not being conformed to the image of Christ, if I'm not looking to the right people, then what's going on in my life is going to reflect those who Paul says are enemies of the cross. So in looking at the two examples, the first thing I want to do is I want to look at the diligent, what I call the diligent. Um, And we see those are in verses 12 through 16, okay? So here's what we said. Paul starts out, he says, not not that I have already obtained this. Now the, the word this is important because if we just pick up here in the beginning, we don't know what the this is. We don't know what he's saying. I haven't already obtained this. And so what we have to do is we have to back up into what Flood was talking about last week in verses 10 and 11. The, the, the idea of knowing him, the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, and becoming like him in his death, that he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying here, he says, I know I've forfeited all, everything else so that I might know Christ, the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, obtain the resurrection from the dead. I want that, I want that. And Paul starts out by saying, I'm not there yet. Not that these things aren't present in his life, 
But Paul is saying, I don't fully know Christ as I know that I can. I don't fully experience the power of his resurrection. I don't fully get all of this. And I haven't reached it. The idea of attaining there in verse 11 is to come to it. He says, I'm not there completely. But what does he do? Brothers, I don't consider I've made it my own. But forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, listen to the language he says, I press on, I strain forward, I press on. Paul says, look, I have not there yet. I'm not a guy who can stand before you and says, I've arrived. So my example is of one who has got this thing completely right. What Paul says is, I'm not there, but I'm going there. I'm not there completely, but I am putting everything aside and straining and striving and giving it everything I've got to get there because Christ has called me there. Notice what he says. He, is, he was striving to make it his own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And he remembers that he's call, pressing on to the goal, the prize, the upper call in Christ Jesus. So hear me and hear me well. Paul is not saying, I make myself holy. I'm the only one who's doing this. Jesus cleared me up, got me ready in the beginning. Now he's just turned me loose and the rest is up to me. Paul has said, Christ has called me. Christ has, remember the language in Romans 8, those whom he he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. All of this is working together. And Paul says, Christ has called me. I am his. And it echoes Philippians 2, 12 and 13, where he says, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul says, I know that Christ has saved me. And so now what I'm doing, I know that he's working in me to will it and to do it. And so I strive for it knowing full well that it's the power of the gospel and it's the power of Christ working in him to get to these things. And so what Paul says is, I give it my everything because Jesus has called me to that. Paul understands the power of the gospel and he's not trying to get outside the gospel. He's not trying to get beside the gospel. He's not trying to add to it. But what he is saying is, Christ has called me to be holy. Christ has called me to be obedient. And so I am striving for those things. I am giving it that because that's what Christ has called me to. And so I'm going to give it my everything. So then what are the characteristics of the diligent, as I've called them here? Well, I would say that there's really three things that we see in Paul's life that are good examples for us that we should be striving for and that should be evidence of our sanctification. First one is this, is humility. And we see that in verses 12 and 13. What does he say? I've not already obtained this. Brothers 13, brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own. Now let's just, let's just call it what it is. If there was anybody that we could look at and say that as a person outside of Jesus that was holy, Paul's one of those guys we want to put way on up there. I mean, let's just call it like it is. I mean, Paul is a guy who loves and serves Jesus. He's the one that we're all looking at. I mean, shoot, Jesus used him to write 13 books of the New Testament. Come on, it's Paul. And Paul says, look, I know myself, and I know that I am not there. You see, when we are being sanctified, it does not lead to pride. In fact, the more that Christ conforms you into his image, the more you see even the most minute sins in your life and understand how wretched they are. 
And so as you are being sanctified, as you are growing in Christ-likeness, as you're being conformed into his image, it doesn't cause any sense of boasting. There's no sense of, man, I have arrived. But the exact opposite. As you are being conformed to the image of Christ, you see your sin all the more and you understand, I've gotten so much further to go. At any point when we start thinking about how great we are and how we've defeated so many things, we've got to ask ourselves, are we bordering on pride here? Now I will say, and, I, and there's a quote that I'm going to read in a few minutes that will, that will help us to know that there's nothing wrong with seeing progress. Okay, don't hear me say that. It's not that anytime you do something well, you've got to be like, oh man, no, this is prideful, I can't. No, it's okay to see God working in your life. It's okay to see the power of the cross defeating sin in your life. That's a good thing. But it's when you start looking down on others that you have the exact opposite of what sanctification is for you. Second thing is this, what I call strenuous obedience. Because the language that Paul uses of pursuing Christ here is not, I try to do some good things. You know, try to kind of, you know, be a nice guy. I'm working on this, you know, trying to, trying to just kind of walk the walk and talk the talk. What does Paul say? I press on i strain forward i press on he is pushing diligently the uh the imagery that he's using here is that of a runner uh somebody who's running a race and uh some some friends of mine uh other collegiate ministers uh last year ran a marathon and just this past uh week before last we were in greenville and we were driving around greenville and he was telling me about uh, when we pulled up by the baseball stadium that's right there, is where they ended the marathon. They ran in, they ran into the baseball stadium. was the very last part. And I, the language and just the memories that came flooding back to him, he's like, oh, man, when I rounded this corner, it was mile 26, and it was all that I could do to get into that stadium. And all I had to do was just forget everything else and just run and just run and run and forget it all because the end was in sight. And I thought, man, what a beautiful picture of that. Because he's tired, he's pushing, but he says, I push on because I'm going to get there. Uh, author by the name of Kevin DeYoung, I'm reading a book of his right now. It's got some just some very um, great things. It's called The Hole in Our Holiness. I commend it to you. It's, it's really good. He writes this. There's the reality that holiness is plain hard work, and we're often lazy. We like our sins, and dying to them is painful. Almost everything is easier than growing in godliness. So we try and fail, try and fail, and then just give up. And what Paul here says is no matter how many times he tries and fails, he continues and continues and continues. So those who are being sanctified are those who are fighting against sin. And yes, we may try and we may fail, but there's never a sense in which we give up. Paul doesn't say, man, I tried really hard against this, and it was so bad that that was just too big of a sin for me to deal with. So I'm just really not going to, I'm not even worried about that one. I'm just going to have to just let that one slide until I get to heaven. Paul says everything, I'm striving for it. So strenuous obedience. And then the very last one is this, is rest. Now, this kind of sounds counterintuitive. In fact, it almost sounds oxymoronic because I just said that a characteristic of sanctification is strenuous obedience, but another characteristic is rest. And we see this in verse 13 because what Paul says at the very end, he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind. We have to remember Paul's past. Because there's two things here that I think he means. And they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of flip sides of the same coin. 
You see, because the one thing in Paul's, Paul's past that could keep him from growing in grace and seeking Jesus is the fact that he was the one who held the coats for the guys who stoned Stephen. He was the one who sought out Christians. He was the one that was a murderer. He was the one that persecuted the church. He was all of these things. In fact, in in, uh, 2 Timothy, Paul says that he is the chief of all sinners. And Paul's past, these wretched things that he had done against Christ and against believers and all of these things, he could have held on to those and said, man, I'm just so bad. There's no way God can do anything in my life. There's just no way. And Paul says, whatever was in my past has been forgiven by Christ. No matter how great, no matter how wretched, it is there. And I'm not going to live there because I've been forgiven by Christ, and so now I strive for obedience. And you see, some of us want to say, well, this is just so bad, or this thing happened to me, or this thing I was involved in was so bad, and it's got such a hold on my life that I just, I can't do anything. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know what's going on in my life. And what I would tell you is Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, I strive forward in Christ. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of resting in the gospel and knowing that as I move forward, I've not overcome my sin personally. I've not overcome my past personally. I'm not better than what I was then. What we're looking at now is Christ has overcome my past. Christ has overcome my sin. Christ has overcome my alienation and my separation from God. And no matter how wicked and how wretched it is, the cross paid for that. So I won't live there. I live striving for Jesus. But the other thing that Paul forgets is what we've got to remember that he talks about earlier in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he goes off and lists all of the things he had done, all the legalistic requirements, all the commands. And he was like, man, I'm a, I'm a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, of the law of Pharisee. I mean, he was all these things, all this stuff that he did, this ladder he was trying to climb to get to God, this self-righteousness, everything that he thought he was. He said, that's nothing. That's rubbish. That's trash. Because that right there is nothing. It will not get me to God. And I count it as nothing. And so now on the flip side of the coin, not only is Paul saying, I forget my sinfulness because it's wrapped up in Christ and I don't let that hold me back. He also says, I'm no longer trying to earn righteousness on my own. You see, as we're sanctified in Christ, we do good things. We live lives that honor God. We stop telling lies. We fight against sin. But it's not because we think if we do that, then God will love us more. Or we think if we do that, that we're better. Or we think if we do that, then we might actually get into heaven. Some of us have the mistaken idea that we come to Christ... He forgives us of all of our sins, gives us a clean slate, and then pushes us forward and says, all right, go do it. Hope you make it in the end. I actually heard somebody this week say that. Not a Christian. Say, when you come to God, He forgives you of everything, but then it's up to you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when we come to Christ, he, he cleans us up. He gives us the clean slate. And then he is the one that continually forgives us and continually molds us. And so Paul says, I'm not trying to earn anything from God. I am seeking to honor Christ with my life through my obedience. And so Paul is resting in the gospel. So as we're being sanctified, we are humble. We are striving for Jesus, but that striving is in the middle of a rest in the gospel. 
knowing that we earn no righteousness for our own, knowing that we earn no close relationship to God on our own. It's all through Christ, what Christ has done for us. And in that, we have the freedom to fight against sin. This is what Paul says. And so this is the example. He says, join in my example. But it would be enough if we saw that. But Paul doesn't just talk about the example that he's setting. And we've got to remember, Paul's not doing this to say, hey, look how good I am. Look at me. Paul says other places, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying, imitate me so that you can be like me and conform to the image of Paul. Paul says, God is working in me. He's working in me as an example. So would you imitate me so that we both can be following Christ? Because when you ultimately imitate Paul, you're not seeking Paul. You're seeking Jesus because that's what Paul is doing. But he does have these other examples. And in the vein of good Baptist preachers, I alliterated it. I never alliterate, but I did it this morning. You're welcome. All right? We have the diligent, but then we have the dangerous. Dun-dun-dun. The dangerous. Uh, And finally, starting in verse 19. It's really verse 19 is where he gives them. Is there another type of example? And Paul writes this. Let's read verse 19 again. It says, Their end... Is, uh, verse 18 he says that their, their walk is enemies of the cross he says their end is destruction their God is their belly they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things now he says right here that they walk as enemies of the cross now this is a common New Testament term a common way that we find in the New Testament thinking the idea of walking and walking is a characteristic of life okay so it's not just they think a certain way walking is the sense of they think they act they carry themselves when people are watching when people aren't watching in daily life outside of church at work at school at play whatever this is the way that characterizes their life and so paul says that that to keep our eyes on those who walk according to the example, but he says there are some who walk, who have a life that demonstrates they're actually enemies of the cross. The most terrifying thing about this verse for me is that Paul is not talking about people who hate Jesus, who come against Christianity, who are atheists, who are pagans, Paul is talking about people who claim the name of Jesus. People who claim the name of Jesus and say they're believers, but by their action and by their lives, lead people away from the gospel. And he says up front, their end is destruction. This whole, I mean, we we know from the context here that there are groups of people who have come into the church claiming to be followers of Christ who are now saying, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, and they're coming in and they're teaching heresy and they're leading people astray. Sometimes we're very focused on enemies outside of the church, enemies of people who come against Christianity, the the new atheism, the scientific naturalism, those of other religions who want to come against us, and we, we say, those are the enemies of the Christian. The most terrifying thing about this is that there are people who claim the name of Christ, who lead others away from the gospel. And what Paul says about them is that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their saying. Their minds are set on earthly things. 
Again, I think there's two kinds of people here. One, Paul is kind of referenced to here. One is referenced to in other places in the New Testament by Paul and other authors. The first is what Paul refers to in, in uh, the earlier parts of chapter 3 with the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were the people, they came into the church, and what they said was, yes, you need Jesus to be made right with God. But then there's that mindset that I already talked about. You need Jesus to be made right with God. But then what you've got to do is you've got to go back to all of the Old Testament rules. And you've got to keep all of these rules in order to stay in his favor. You see, it's kind of like what they, what they were thinking was, in the Old Testament, you would offer a sacrifice. And when you offered the sacrifice, you were cleansed and made right with God. And then you had to go and keep all the rules to stay right with God. And if you didn't, then you had to offer another sacrifice and try to keep all the rules and then offer another sacrifice to keep all the rules. God gave all those things to show people that those sacrifices ultimately wouldn't cleanse them. They needed a greater sacrifice. And that sacrifice is Christ. Well, what we find here is these people incorporated this same type thinking. Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins. Praise God, we're good. We got a clean slate. Now let's keep all of the laws and all of the rules so that we can be perfect in front of God because Jesus was just to get us in the right position, but now we've got to stay there all on our own. That's what they were doing. That's why they were teaching you had to be circumcised. That's why they were teaching you had to follow the dietary laws. That's why they were teaching you had to dress a certain way. All these different things. They're, they're all of these rules they're adding and saying, yes, a Christian means following Jesus and then keeping all these rules. And if you don't have one or the other, you're lost. Paul says that's an enemy of the cross. But the other people that we find who are the enemies of the cross, those claiming to be Christians, are these the ones who say, wow, Jesus died for me, forgave me of all my sins. There's nothing that I'm, no condemnation can be brought for me whatsoever. So I can live however I want to live. I'm going to be forgiven. And it doesn't matter if I do some big thing, because then I just go to Jesus and I ask him to forgive me and it's all okay. Oh man, I stole that car. I'm sorry, Jesus. You forgive me? Okay, great. Thanks. All right, let's go. And there's no remorse. There's no nothing. Because why? We're under grace. We're good. We can live however we want to live. It doesn't matter. In fact, the worse that I am, the greater it is that Jesus has forgiven me so I can do whatever I want. In fact, when I do this, it shows the world how great Jesus is. It's because he'll forgive me for stealing cars and robbing banks and doing all these things. Yes, I must do that. And of course, yes, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But people will say, I can live however I want during the week. I can laugh at those jokes at work. I can post this on my Facebook page. I can watch these videos. I can do all these things because it really, ultimately, I'll be forgiven. And we're usually not as brazen about it as that. And those who fall into this camp usually aren't as brazen. But unfortunately, they can just live that way. That's oh, no big deal. It doesn't really matter. I just need to sow my wild oats. I need to do this. I'll get serious about it one day. God will forgive me anyway. And what Paul says is that when you do that, you're walking as an enemy of the cross. So just as we looked at the characteristics of the diligent, let's look at the characteristics of the dangerous that we see here. Um, first one is I'd like to talk about the characteristics of the legalist or of legalism. First one is this, self-righteousness. And, and I get that from when Paul says their God is their belly. Um, we see, especially as you're looking at these, um, these Judaizers, these legalists who come in, they were so worried about the law and their pride that we're going to talk about in a second. And everything was the rules. Everything ended at the rules so in keeping the rules when they kept the rules that was the end point of obedience i keep the rules for the rules sake 
And so when I keep these rules, I'm good because the end of all of this is keeping rules. That means when I eat the right things, and I think this Paul's alluding to this, when I eat the right things and I eat according to dietary regulations, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm at the end of it. That's great. But we as believers know that rules are not an end unto themselves. We understand the commandments of God are not to make us uh, self-righteous, but what they are meant to do is to point us to Jesus, to point us to the fact that a heart flowing in worship to Him desires obedience because of what He has done. But see, those who are enemies of the cross, it is self-righteousness. The rules and self-righteousness they bring are what they're striving for. The declaration isn't, look what Christ has done, but look what I have done. Keeping the rules gives them a reason to boast. Look at how good I am. I've kept these rules. I'm okay. Second thing they have is pride. Paul writes that they glory in their shame. And this is the thing. What they are so proud of. Man, look at what I've done. Paul says that very thing that they're so excited about is really their shame. They're saying, I have made myself acceptable to God. Blind to any other sin, only can see those rules that they've decided they can keep. They look at that and say, I'm so good. And Paul says, you're glorying in shame. Do you not understand your need for a Savior and that now what you're doing is you're saying you're accepted before God because you've done all of these things? And the third one is this. Worldly desires. And the thing is, they don't seem worldly. You know, we, look at the, we look at the legalists and we don't seem worldly. In fact, you look at the Pharisees, they didn't seem worldly. They were the guys in the Bible, the really religious type. They didn't seem worldly because they're pursuing these godly things. They're keeping the rules. Surely they're not worldly. But Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, the reality is that is worldly. Because right in there with self-righteousness and pride is the desires for others to view you as good and wonderful and holy. And there it has snuck in. Remember when we talked about Paul, Paul's not saying be like me so that I can feel great about myself. As I'm following Jesus, so you'd be like me and follow Jesus. Those who are not going through this are saying be like me because I'm pretty great. And that's what they're seeking. It's other people talk about how great they are you see all of these things that are going on here are evidences that our hearts are not in tune with christ they're anti-gospel and paul says when you walk this way you're walking as an enemy of the cross but there's also those who engage in license remember we said there was legalists and then there was those who were uh, engaged in license and, and license is the exact opposite of legalism if if legalism has all the rules license are the ones who say i can go do whatever i want i'll be forgiven anyway it's great it's got the best of both worlds i can sin all i want and then jesus looks cool for forgiving me it's awesome and they have the exact same thing first thing they're lawless their god is their stomach whatever they desire whatever they want that is what they go after it doesn't matter whatever's right here in front of them whatever they want the most Food, job, money, sex, whatever it is, I'm going for that. That's my God. I'm going to serve it. I'm going to worship it. I'm going to follow after it. Also, pride. Same thing as the other ones. They glory in their shame. They see their freedom as a way of celebrating grace. 
The very thing that's so shameful in their life, they see that and they celebrate it. And then worldly desires. Kevin DeYoung writes, Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. They're looking. That's all they're worried about. What's right in front of them. Now, here's why I spent a little time thinking about this. This is vital for those of us within the church, and I think especially in the church in the Southeast United States. Because... In our church culture, there is both the legalist and those who engage in license. There are people in our culture who will say, man, look at me. I go to church every Sunday. I'm involved in every Bible study. I got this really big, huge black study Bible that I carry around so that everybody can see it and know how godly I am. There's, I, I serve on this committee. I take up the offering. I even pray in church. I am good. I've got all of these things that I do. Therefore, I'm okay. And you start asking them about their relationship with Christ and how they know that they're a follower of Christ. And all they do is start listing off all the things that they do. And it's never rooted in the gospel those things aren't flowing out of a heart that's been radically changed by jesus they're just things that i'm trying to do so that i'm okay yeah i walked an aisle i I was baptized when i was five and now i do all of these things and now that i do all these things it's, it's good right because i do all of these things don't hear me wrong and think those things are bad those things are good if they flow out of a heart that's been changed by jesus and so what we've got to do is we've got to be careful that we don't fall into that very same trap. But the other one is true as well in our church culture. And though I want to say it's limited to, to college students when I see it, it's not. There are a lot of people who are Christians on Sunday morning from the time they walk into the building to the time that they walk out. And they sing the songs and they do whatever. And when they leave, God has not thought about until Saturday night as they're getting their clothes ready to go to church the next week. They live however they want in the middle of the week. Their God is their belly. Whatever they want to do, whatever they want to strive after, that's everything. And then they give God his time on Sunday mornings, maybe, you know, a Wednesday night every now and then, or do a Bible study or something. But that's it. It doesn't affect the rest of their life. And what Paul says is, don't follow that example it's not the example of being conformed to the image of christ because if we're conformed to the image of christ what we find is that we're walking the way that paul was walking not the way that these people are walking so some concluding thoughts just a few questions for you and um these are questions that even this morning i was i was asking myself um because got a lot of room to work on these so first question is this is sanctification a reality in your life is it a reality in your life or put it another way are the characteristics of the diligent true of you now i want to read this quote again by kevin DeYoung uh, because i think it just was really good you have permission to see evidences of grace in your life you are allowed and expected to be obedient You will never be perfect in this life. You cannot do anything to earn God's love. But as a redeemed, regenerate child of God, you don't have to be a spiritual failure. 
By the mercies of God, you can present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The danger in preaching a sermon like this is that everybody can say, I'm a failure, I'm no good, there's nothing good about me. Okay, at the core, we are sinful, separated from God. But if you are a child of God, if you have been saved, then God is going to conform you to the image of Jesus. And when God does that, you can celebrate that in your life. Because when you do so, you're not saying, look at how great I am, but oh, the power of the resurrection working in my life to defeat and conquer sin. I know that I could not do that, and I see God doing that in my life, and it blows my mind that God would do this for me, and I see the power of the cross at work in my life. And we can celebrate that. It's a good thing that God has done that for us. So is the evidence of sanctification in your life? And as you see that, it motivates us, it empowers us, it just excites us about saying, God is doing something in my life. I see it. I want more of this. I want to know it more, just like Paul was saying. And it drives us to strain more, to press on more, and to do those things. And my question is, is that if we don't see this, what do we need to do to pursue them? If we don't see it, is there something that's hindering us from pursuing this? Is there something in our life that is saying, I'm not pressing towards Christ because I'm pressing towards this. I'm not pressing towards Jesus because this is what I'm straining for. What is it that that would be and how do we need to tweak it? Next question is this. Are there characteristics of the dangerous present in your life? We talk about the characteristics of the diligent. Are there characteristics of the dangerous? Here's the reason why Paul would write this to Christians, okay? Now, if these are Christians, genuine believers, Paul believes that they are followers of Christ, why would he even bring up these bad examples? Why would he even say this? Why do places, other places in Scripture bring up all of this stuff, telling us about what unbelievers are like or what people do is wrong? The reason why is those places in Scripture serve as warnings to us who are followers of Christ. They get our attention. It's the way, one of the ways the Holy Spirit awakens us to the deceitfulness of sin that is still present in our life. Because we can be pursuing God over here, and what will happen is, if we're not paying attention, there's another area of our life where we start pursuing things other than God, And sin is so deceitful and sin is so conniving that we don't realize that it's there. And God takes his word and it's like a spotlight and it shines it on those things. And it wakens us up to saying, man, right here in this area, I'm pursuing Jesus over here. But man, I'm really pursuing this thing. And it's against the gospel. It's an enemy of the cross. And so the spirit graciously shows those things to us and holds them out and saying, you're pursuing the wrong thing here. I want to show you you're leading down the path of destruction turn and walk to christ and it's in god's grace and his goodness that he would show us these errors in our life that we can then turn back to him and pursue goodness and pursue his favor so are there areas in your life that are characteristic of the dangerous and if so repentance is necessary for me and for you 
if we understand that there's something there that God has revealed to us, then what we say is, God, I see that and I want to repent. Repent's not just feeling bad about it, saying, oh, maybe I'll try harder. Repentance literally is a turning. It's a saying, this is bad for me. This leads down a path of lying sinfulness. So what I want to do is I want to turn to the truth of God and I'm going to turn from that and walk towards God, believing the truth of his word, believing the promises that he holds out to me are better and truer and more wonderful than the lies of sin. And so I turn towards that. Another question is, who are the examples you're imitating? Who is it in your life that you're saying, this person is a strong follower of Jesus. Their eyes are set on the Lord. They're growing in godliness. They are, they are somebody who's passionately in love with Jesus. Who is that person that you're looking at and saying, Man, there's things in their life that they've got that I just realized aren't in my life, and I want to emulate them that, we t- that I might have a trajectory towards Jesus like them. Not just trying to mimic people, not just trying to quote people. You know, the, the, the problem is, is if you start quoting them more than you quote the Bible, then you're not really following their example. Because if they're a godly person, they're chasing after Jesus, and they want you to chase after Jesus. They don't want you just to be a parrot of the things that they say. But who is it that you're looking at their example, and it's just making you want to follow Jesus more? And it makes you say, wow, man, they've got a great prayer life. I'm not even praying. Hey, could you, could you show me kind of what you do to pray? Or, man, I love the way you know the Word. Would you help me study the Bible more? Or, I love the way that you just naturally tell somebody about Jesus. Would you kind of help me to think about when and where and how? Because you're looking at their example and you know that it's going to push you towards Jesus. Who is it that you're following? And then, next one. Are you striving to become the kind of person who can be emulated? Not for prideful reasons, but the very fact that Paul would say, imitate me. Are you striving to become the kind of person who can then bring somebody else who's younger in the faith, a new Christian, alongside that they might look at your life and follow Jesus more? Are you striving to become that kind of person and hoping that God would use you in that manner? And then the last thing I would say is this. We need to examine ourselves. Sometimes the reason people aren't growing in sanctification is they're not in Christ. I don't think every time you hear a sermon like this, you've got to start questioning whether or not you're saved. But Paul does write this in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you unless you indeed fail to meet the test? See, the reason why some people are so frustrated in their sanctification is that they're trying to do this thing without even having followed Christ, trusted Christ, given their lives to Him. And they're still trying to do it on their own. Do you treasure Christ above all? Do you long for Him? Do you want to be near Him? Are you still trying to do things on your own? Are you trusting Him? Not just to make things right in the beginning, not just to make it okay when you get to heaven, but for everything. The beginning, the middle, and the end. God has set it out that we would be conformed to His image. And as you see that happening in your life, let it fuel a passion and a burning zeal of worship for Christ. Examine yourselves. And as you examine and you see the evidences of Christ, worship, strive, press on.
if you examine and you say, I don't even know that the beginning was there, much less this middle part. Could it be this morning that you need to find me or you need to find Fudd or you need to find the person who brought you and say, I just really don't even know that I'm there at the beginning, that, I, that I've not even trusted Christ in the very beginning part. I want to pray for you and then I'm going to turn it over to Ben and the band for a time of reflection and worship. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have given us your spirit and you have given us your word and that we're not left trying to figure this thing out on our own, but that you have given us truth by which we can know you and follow you. And God, I pray that we would not walk as enemies of the cross, that there are characteristics in my life and the lives of people here that aren't characteristics of those who are imitating Christ and I pray that you would bring them by your grace to the surface that we might repent of them and turn and trust and rest in the gospel to defeat them and God may we be a people who strive after holiness may our obedience be strenuous may it be a pouring out of ourselves after that to which you have called us you have called us to be yours you have called us heavenward you have called us to Christ and may we never be indifferent to that may we never see it as optional may we never see it as something only the most uh, wonderful Christians should do may it be something that we know you're working in us that you're shaping us and conforming us and that we strive after Lord we love you and we praise you and pray now that you would turn our hearts to respond in a way fitting